Welcome to episode 352 of the Reformed Brotherhood. I'm Jesse. And I'm Tony, and we are proud members of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. The sky comes falling down for you. There's nothing in this world I wouldn't do. Hey, brother. Hey, brother. And we are also in summer school this year, the School of Prayer. We've been taking our time going through the Lord's Prayer, and we've got more of that coming up, and I am super stoked about that. We're getting to this point now. We're shifting a little bit. We're going to change and start to look at these different petitions that start to involve us and our needs. So we'll be talking about what does it mean exactly to ask for our daily bread on this day? So if people were just jumping into this stream, We've done all these lessons. We've had all these conversations. We've been sitting at the desk trying to understand this prayer that Jesus himself gives to his disciples to pray. And once again, as we've talked about, I'm just so struck that there's no better prayer, no better approach or rubric than what God himself, of course, gives to us. And we're just finding like layer after layer, depth after depth, gospel and theology and worship and doxology all coming together, coalescing in these simple or seemingly simple words that Jesus gives to his disciples. And so we've already talked about the petitions that focus us on our attention on heavenly things like God and his name, his kingdom and his will. And similar to the Ten Commandments, which is also a definitive series we just finished, the Lord's Prayer begins with our prayer concerning God and his name. And then it descends to contemplate our own needs and the world around us. And it's a great reminder that apart from God, the most important relationships between people and ideas are without definition, without meaning, without purpose. When we begin with God, even the most mundane, common, everyday activities somehow become rooted in eternity. And it starts with saying, let's ask God for our daily bread. So we're going to get there. That was just like a little taste. Do you like that pun? No? I do. We're talking about bread. Taste. Taste. Bread delicious. I get it. I understood that reference. Okay. Beautiful. So before we do that, and we get to the full meal, as it were, and we sit down at the table, let's talk about affirmations and denials. What are you affirming with on this episode? So I, as you know, I've been reading a book called Digital Minimalism by Cal Newport. Uh, I'm not quite done with it yet, but I'm, I'm enough done to feel good about recommending the book. So okay. for those, I mean, the, the name is Digital Minimalism, so it shouldn't be too surprising what the book is about. Um, right. But Cal Newport is sort of a strange figure. Um, he's like an, he's like a professor, but he also writes these books that are not not really directly related to his field. Um, but he he wrote a book called Deep Work, which I haven't read, but I've, I've read snippets of and listened to like a thousand podcast interviews about. So I feel like I understand that book. Digital Minimalism um, is a book that is one part um, philosophical treatise and one part kind of practical application. So it, it, it sort of is like right in our wheelhouse for the way we think about things. And Newport's thesis is more or less that we have taken um, we've taken the digital world and we've superimposed it on top of ourselves, and it is actually kind of killing us. And right. the way it's doing that is by basically taking like human activities that bring refreshment and life and social interaction and sort of like the, the good things of life. And has kind of replaced them with these cheap gimmicky substitutions that are are digital in nature. Um, and, and there's also a whole thing about the idea of solitude, how how 
in previous bygone eras, solitude as they as he defines it is this idea of these these times where our minds are free from the input of other minds, where, where we're just alone with our own thoughts. Um, we, we almost never have that anymore. So it used to be that when you were driving down the road, you maybe listen to the radio, but a lot of times like you, you that was just background noise. You weren't like contemplating right. the words of the, the song or, you know, when you would walk, uh, you'd be waiting in the grocery line. Like you might look at the magazines, but for the most part, you're standing there and you see so you're kind of alone with your thoughts. You're forced to, you're forced to entertain yourself and you're forced to contemplate things. We've replaced that with like, and, and I say this ironically as a podcast, but like we've replaced that with like people always have earbuds in their ears. They always have input. So what he proposes is a form of, it's a philosophical position he calls digital minimalism, which is not eliminating digital media, um, digital, he kind of calls it like next generation apps. There's a big focus on, on social media, but it's not exclusive to social media by any means. He doesn't propose eliminating them. Um, but what he proposes is a sort of elimination diet. So you start by kind of like cutting them all out. And then when you're done with that sort of detox period, you you look at each social digital thing that you are confronted with. And then this is an ongoing practice. And you identify if there's actual value, not just perceived value, but actual value. And then a second layer is not just, all right, this has some level of value, and so I'm going to incorporate it. But the second layer is, is this actually the most bang for my buck? Is this the best way for me to accomplish what this is? So he uses the example of like, yeah, Facebook uh, has some utility for keeping up with your your friends from college or your family member out, out west or whatever, but wouldn't just calling them on the phone and having a conversation actually have more utility. It takes more work, but wouldn't it actually have more utility in terms of maintaining and building that friendship? Um, a text message is great. And sometimes we need to have that short, quick hit, direct communication. But if, if you're trying to actually foster a relationship and reinforce those bonds, wouldn't a phone call be better or something like that? So I think it's a great book. Um, what I really like about it is it's not this absolutist, you have to eliminate everything and you can never never have it back. It really is focused on making proper use of the technology. And in many cases, that may mean like there's no valuable use. There's no valuable way for me to use this technology that I can't somehow right. do better. But um, I think it's worth reading. Even if you never implement anything, there's a lot of information in there about um, what social media is, how it developed. Um, what some of these digital apps are, how they developed, and what it is that they do to us. We've talked about this before, so I don't want to belabor that point, but what it is that they do to us and and what that has done to sort of rewire our brains. So check it out. It's called Digital Minimalism. It's by Cal Newport. Um, I, I don't want to give a full-throated endorsement to Deep Work, but I've heard very good things about that too. So he seems like one of those kind of on-brand thinkers that it's kind of like you're so close to the kingdom with some of these common grace principles right. um, that I, I don't think, you know, I haven't, I didn't find anything in the sort of philosophical part that would be objectionable other than maybe some references to like spirituality being sort of just like a thing we do, not necessarily like any grounded to any real thing. So yeah, check it out. Digital minimalism. Uh, it's a relatively short book. Um, it's seven chapters. I think it'll take you three, four hours to read. Um, it's the kind of book you're probably going to read once. And then when you actually go through to, uh, to implement what he's proposing, you probably will read through it a second time as you're doing. I know that's my plan kind of is to use it 
at the first time through is just a read. The second time through is going to be more like using it as a manual for this process he's proposing. One of the great things about Cal Newport, and I'm with you, I've read Deep Work. There's a lot of great principles in there, a lot of challenging ideas. What he does that he doesn't realize is he's just stacking up common grace yeah. on common grace, stacks on stacks and stacks of common grace. And so there is a lot there that's worthwhile because what he's basically saying in all of his writing is put first things first. Forsake distractions that are cheap replacements or analogs yeah. of the real satisfaction, the real value of a life, which is good advice just across the board. Yeah. But it's particularly relevant to the Christian who should be concerned about the kingdom of God, the thing that brings some kind of eternal or lasting reward. And that's really what he's after. He also, as I understand it in that book, and this is, I think, insanely helpful for people, is espousing a classic zero budgeting approach, which is yeah. start from zero. That is, eliminate everything yeah. and then start by bringing in the things that have value as you evaluate them. Yeah. Don't go the other way around where you're trying to figure out, how should I use Twitter? Cut it out first, cut out Facebook first, and then find, is there any real gap in its use in your life so that you can justify bringing it back in so that it provides more value than it actually costs, either in like your attention or your distraction or all those things. This is all real helpful. I've long said, I think we've talked about this on in our conversations on this podcast, that I have this hypothesis that one of the great damaging things of like Twitter, Facebook, and to some extent, reporting at large that's available to us on the internet is it gives us this sense that we are in some ways omniscient, yeah. that we have access to so much information that it become a distraction as if we need to care about all things at all times. Yeah. Whereas God has given us like finite resources, both physically and mentally and emotionally to engage with all those things and become overwhelming to the extent that you shut down or you become so distracted about the world everywhere that you're not concerned with the world that God has given you to be a part of in the place where you are. So I think what Cal is doing there, I'm just going to call him Cal. Yeah, he's on a first name basis. Exactly, you know. So I think that what he's doing there is really drawing us back to, are you so minded in this omniscient way and so distracted that either you're not really enjoying life or you're not really participating in a way that's like proactive and profitable for the way that you want to live? And I, I feel like sometimes when these things get written, like just cut to Solomon being like, hey, yeah. How do you settle this stuff? Yeah. You're just it's just recapitulated in a different realm and a different error. And it's being applied to like technology. Yeah. But the truths are all the same. So I'm with you. I think that this is a great challenge for all of us to try to understand all the things that we consume. One of the, the last thing I'll say is one of the dramatic things theoretically that I've done that many people would have disagreed with me on and continue to disagree with me is that I've cut out basically all news reading. And that for me was a challenge because both in my professional life, the things that I was reading, but also in my personal life, that because the news already happens, there's not a lot of value in sometimes just trying to consume everything that's gone on in the world. Yeah. But having more trusted resources, like you're saying, that bring value to that help you think about the world and pray for the world and understand what's going on in the world without being so consumed about trying to make sure that you are on the precipice of everything that is occurring. When I did that, I relieved for myself, at least, a lot of pressure in trying to understand what's going on in all things at all times. Yeah. And I, I would argue that, especially in your professional life, if you're reading some kind of articles for that purpose, it's better to read stuff that helps you try to process what's going on right now and to think through that and to be challenged in the way that you approach things rather than just consuming information about stuff that has already happened. Yeah. Of course, there are exceptions, but my hypothesis is that you'll be better off if you 
don't get into that rut. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right with his approach. And and I think he would say the ideal scenario is to go on this zero budget kind of a perspective. But what I value and appreciate about the book, and this is so this is gonna feel really disconnected, but it's not, I promise. So like when you read someone like David Allen, who is the architect of the getting things done productivity method, right? His method is so like binary that either you do it a hundred percent or you don't do it at all. Right. At least that's the way he presents it. It is almost like intimidating. Like Dave Ramsey, I'm not endorsing Dave Ramsey necessarily, but like Dave Ramsey and like the Financial Peace University is kind of the same thing. Like either you have zero credit cards or you or you're just not following his pattern. That kind of approach is very hard to to like approach. Like it's very hard to adopt because you the second you feel like, oh well, you know, I'm I'm, my job is I'm a social media marketing manager for my company. So like, how do I eliminate Facebook? Right. Or like, this is something you and I have talked about. Um, neither of us are huge fans of social media, but like, what is it, what does it really mean to publicize a podcast and to distribute it without some sort of social media presence? Right. I can tell you that when we eliminated our social media presence online, our numbers slowed down. Um, it's just a fact of life. Like that's just the way that our world is. What I value about Cal Cal Newport's approach is he acknowledges that. And so although he's very straightforward and he thinks the best way to execute and implement this is this zero sum start from scratch and then bring stuff back in. He also gives you some pointers and some steps and some information about if you're not able to do that or you're not comfortable doing that, then here are some ways that you can do this. So he has these things he calls operating rules. Um, for how it is that you might, if you are, so like he uses Netflix as an example. A lot of people don't have traditional television anymore. They watch all of their television type shows on a streaming platform of some sort. And so when he first did this experiment, he had many people who said like, I can't just eliminate Netflix because otherwise like I don't have any real form of that kind of entertainment. And so a lot of people just said like, well, I'll watch Netflix, but in order to avoid binging, which is the like the destructive kind of thing he points out, I'm only going to watch Netflix or Hulu or whatever it is if I'm with other people. So like that necessarily limits my ability to sit down and watch Netflix for like 10 hours on a Saturday because I'm probably not going to have other people who are going to do that. So those are examples. So he gives you both of those things. And that's why I think this is so manageable is because so like if I was to do this full on, there goes the telegram chat. <laughs> like, like it, it, there's just things that we do that I look at and I'm like, I, I don't really think that this is actually as destructive in my life as he says. And this is the other thing that I value about this so much. And then we'll move on. I have for a long time, you know, I was a, an admin in the reform pub for several years. I want to say it was probably three or four years. So it's quite a long time. And toward the end of my time there, and I, I, I'm firmly convinced of this, I started to be concerned that the nature of what we were doing in this sort of large Facebook group was fostering people's ability to only have these kinds of online interactions. I was very concerned about that as we would have people would come in and, and it would be pretty clear that there was something going on in their life that was just messed up. And we would dig a little bit when something happened, like they'd have a, we'd have an issue where we'd have to talk to them and, and talk about the rules of the pub or whatever. It would become very clear very quickly. They were just not attached to a local church. And we found that again and again and again and again. Um, and that's happened in our telegram chat where we had, we had a person in there, one of the very few people that I've ever had to kick out of our telegram chat. 
who had these really squirrely, weird theological positions. And no matter how much we talked to him and tried to sort of like get to the bottom of them, we couldn't get him to like see that his positions were not biblical. Turns out he's not connected to a local church. He's not able to be connected to a local church because none of none of the local churches that he has available to him will even allow him as member with the weird squirrely theological views he was holding, things like polygamy and, and things about certain theonomic kind of stuff. I only say that to say he uh, he's tapped into something that I think is really vital for us as Christians who exist in a world with online media need to understand is that the real life in-person gathering of the saints can never be replaced by some sort of digital facsimile, whether it's a telegram chat or it's, you know, virtual church, whatever it might be. We just, it just doesn't work that way. And he is by common grace. He has tapped into this idea that, you know, Jesse and I are talking right now on a, um, a web chat. So I can see Jesse's face. He can see my face, but like he can see from like my chest up. I can see from Jesse's glorious beard up, right? This is very different and not a replacement for when Jesse and I were sitting across the table from each other, across the porch from each other last week at, at the beach or, or having dinner with each other across the table from each other and being able to hear smell and see and like all of those different things. Um, he's tapped into this idea that that is not the same thing. And although it might be valuable, it might have value and it has this sort of like sliding scale value, the closer you get to a real actual interaction, in-person interaction, the more valuable a digital media might be. He's tapped into this idea that we can't replace that. So I think this is a really good book. I've actually started to read, um, started to read outside of Christian theology more frequently um, and I found it to be really valuable because I am seeing all these common grace themes, yes. which then has driven me to the scripture to say, like, wait, okay, so this is a common grace theme. This this rings true. What does the Bible have to say about this? And I'm finding time and time again, like it, it it's there. A lot of these common grace things, stoic principles, things I'm finding in my my other reading, they're there. And then now I take what the scripture has to say and bring it to bear. So check out this book. I think it'll be edifying for you. Obviously, this isn't like devotional reading or anything silly like that, but I think it's it's edifying and it's something that we need to, I think we need to really tap into. It would be really great if somebody wrote a kind of biblical exegetical approach to this same concept that that we could have for the church. I think that would be really great. I would say on that kind of lane, Tim Challies maybe comes the closest with his, I think it's called like get more done or something like yeah. to that extent. It's a great book. It's ties all those things together, but you're totally right. Common grace everywhere, which I think actually will return to at some point. Yeah. And most of our conversation. I was, I was going to make a joke about Cal and, and liking him because his name reminds me of Calvin. And then I looked Calvin. it up. His name actually is Calvin. It is, so that's yeah. just one more point for this dude is his name's Calvin. <laughs> Common grace, stacks on stacks on stacks of common grace. Yeah, what about you? What are you affirming today? Okay, here we go. This is a quick affirmation. This could be an affirmation palate cleanse as well because it's totally different. But I think I have, and I'm smuggling, I'm borrowing, I'm stealing from what professionals do here, but a cleaning game changer that oh, I purposely have withhold talking about because I have been trying this everywhere that I can to vet whether or not it is worth the coveted place in the affirmation catalog, and it is. So here's what I'm affirming with. I'm affirming with a new way to clean every piece of glass that you own. I will never ever, and I mean this again, use like paper towels and a rag and Windex or whatever generic version we all use to clean a window. Never ever again, because one, 
I am using now an approach that is way faster and two, that is way better and never leaves any streaks. And it started with my car and having to deal with my windshield, which if you've ever tried to clean a car windshield on the yeah. inside. Oh, yeah. You got to be like <laughs> and, a gymnast on that. Yeah. Now, not only do you need to make sure that you are somehow contorting your body to get every square inch of that space, but I had let this go for far too long. And so there was like a really healthy film some kind of funky, oily film that was inside the car that even after like multiple washings, like wipings with like the typical means, paper towel yeah. and some kind of like, you know, acidic based cleaner, I just couldn't get it. It was streaky. It was horrific. So I, I found this video. I'm borrowing this. And people are going to be like, really? This is your affirmation. It's so obvious. But here's what I recommend you do. First, go anywhere online, go to your local hardware store. And just purchase a really cheap, and they are really cheap, small, I would say like six inch silicone squeegee. That's the first thing. Second thing, and this is so phenomenally simple that common grace overwhelms. And that is all you do is get a bucket of warm water, put a little bit of dishwashing detergent in there, shake it up so it's a little bit sudgy, take take a rag that is uh, moderately wet and wipe down whatever piece of glass you're doing and then squeegee that bad boy. Here's what I've learned. One, the soap cuts through everything immediately. And then two, because you squeegee it off, the soap goes away. And all you're left with is pure, clean, clear glass. And it takes way less time. Because you can imagine like cleaning a window, right? I know at the church that you belong to, there's a work day. Part of that work day is cleaning all the windows. And you have to get up there, pop the windows down, Windex them, wipe them all down. This is way easier. And because you're using like that little bit of dishwashing detergent, it cuts through everything. And because you squeegee it quick and then wipe off the squeegee, it's it's so pristine. It, honestly, this for me was like a game changer. I've tested it on every piece of glass that I own or come in contact with, uh, including my car, way easier on the inside. And it got rid of all of that film instantly. It's never been so clean. I was coming home this morning after out being for a run. And I was just marveling. Honestly, I did this like two weeks ago. The glass was still so clean, so crystal clear. I was praising the Lord for like these simple pieces of technology. It's like some silicone, some soap, a little bit of water. Game changer. So here's, here's the funny thing. So Jesse, those of you who've never seen a real picture of Jesse, which I'm assuming is most of you, it'd be weird if it was not most of you. As opposed to like an AI picture or like a fake picture of me? As opposed to like our logo, which I would assume most people oh, who are listening okay. to the show have seen. Uh, Jesse has this amazing, glorious, long beard. And I've seen the beard both when he has combed it and also when he has come back from a run. And I hope this is not overly offensive to either Jesse or to homeless people. But when Jesse comes back from a run, he may look a little bit like a homeless person with his beard. I have this amazing picture of Jesse who is so excited about this new way to clean windows that he's out on the sidewalk trying to get people to clean his, <laughs> let them clean his windows just so he can share this amazing new discovery with them. And them kind of like rolling up their window, unlocking the door and being like, I don't want that dude to clean my windows. Look at his beard. So I'll have to try this because we do have a lot of windows. It's funny because we have on this church workday that you're talking about, we usually provide Windex and paper towels for people to clean the windows. There's one woman who brings her own squeegee and although she uses the Windex to clean it, she uses the squeegee and she's always, I don't like track how many windows people do, but she's always flying through the windows a lot faster yeah. than everyone else. So 
I'll yeah, this is check this out. Yeah, plus there's like something, in, if you've ever used a squeegee, and of course it's like general purpose squeegee, you can use it in a shower, in piles, anywhere yeah. like you want to draw water. There's something so satisfying, isn't yeah. there, about like oh, that? Yeah. Squeegees are a gift from God. It, they're so satisfying to use, like universally. I can imagine a person that's using one and been like, I'm not affected by this. Yeah, it, it hits you deep inside, not at the soul level perhaps, but somewhere close to that. It's like yeah. within proximity. So it's great. And I don't know if people experience the same things I do. I'm looking, I'm in a room right now with a window that I just cleaned on the inside outside, but now the outside is dirty. And here's why, because and I don't know why this is, but I do feel that I'm being targeted. It's like a bird went to a huge buffet and then stopped <laughs> by this window and just had its way. Yes. And so I'm thinking there's no way like your standard cleaner and like some kind of relatively inexpensive, like paper towel is going to cut through that. Yeah. And true. now I don't worry about that. I'm like, I just get out the little bucket and I go to town. So I know this sounds outsized. I've already probably oversold it, except I haven't. It's really great. And I'm just affirming with cleaning your window using a squeegee and some simple water, water and soap. All right. We got, we got to move on. Cause we're like, we already 24 minutes in. What are you denying against? So this is related to my, um, to my affirmation here. This is a little bit of a, of a nuance, maybe not a nuance take. It's going to take a second to get into it. I'm affirming not being too quick on the band hammer. And, and it's funny because all the people that I have kicked out of the reform pub for the last seven years or whatever are like, yeah, what are you talking about? Um, there was a little kerfuffle on Twitter and seems to have been resolved, but Credo Magazine, which is a phenomenal publication, it's sort of uh, spearheaded by Matt Barrett. Um, they're they're on the front edge of the sort of uh, retrieval work with classical theism, um, just doing really good work. I'm not exactly sure what happened, to be honest with you, because I wasn't really into it. But James Anderson, who is a professor at Reformed Theological Seminary, not a inflammatory person, like a, a pretty sharp dude and a pretty like mellow guy. Um, just to give you an idea, you know, that like, um, that tabular comparison of the Westminster confession and the 1689 confession yes. that we look at from time to time, that's his website. Like he's the guy that yes. did that. Yep. Um, for some reason he must've said something. He made a critique of, of their critique of Van Til, I think is what happened. They just like blocked him on Twitter and it created this like large kerfuffle. And then other people like Jim Cassidy from Reform Forum, he got blocked on Twitter. So I think this was one of those things where like somebody was just a little too quick on the block button and it spiraled out of control into this like weird thing. Now, to the credit of everyone involved, one of the most recent things that Mr. or Dr. Anderson uh, tweeted was, for the record, I've received a conciliatory email from Crudo Magazine and we've straightened things out. So this just goes to show, first of all, I, I don't know, like the biblical thing is like a sl be slow to anger, like a, a short tongue is, you know, destructive, like all those things that we see in the Bible. I guess like you could just apply that to like the block button, like don't be, don't be quick to hit the block button. Like it's easy enough to just like log out of Twitter and not read what the, what the crazies are saying. But it goes to show that like a simple email, which is, is again, like one step closer to a real interaction. It's not just a quick right. tweet. It's not public. It's, it's closer to like a face to face interaction, a simple email resolve the issue. So like, that's like reinforcing the affirmation, but like, I just think we have to be very slow on the block button. Um, like I said, it's it's easy enough uh, on social media if you choose to be on social media. It's easy enough to just like walk away for a little bit. Exactly. And I say that in terms of like practically, 
it's easy enough to just walk away. I know that like emotionally it's very difficult to walk away. And I'm the, I guess I'm like the chief of sinners on that. There's times that I will get sucked into that kind of conversation. And I know I should just put the phone down and I don't, but you don't have to block somebody. And if anything, that should, I think that should be like a last resort in a lot of ways. It should be like the last thing that you do and there shouldn't be a way back. Um, but yeah, it can cause a lot of problems and it it's interpreted sometimes as like almost like excommunication. How dare you cut off fellowship with me? And you're like, this is social media. I don't actually have fellowship with you. Like this, this is a online interaction. I'm just saying, I don't want to interact with you in the way you want to come to my church. I'll have coffee with you, but like, I don't want to, I don't want to banter back and forth with you in 280 character, like hot takes all day long. Right. So I'm just going to block you because it's easier. I just feel like if you're going to be on Twitter, if you're going to put your thoughts out there in public, especially in some sort of public, public fashion, like a, like a published magazine, then you really, really need to be slow to just cut people off from criticizing you in any real format. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the denial. I don't know if there's much more to it. I, I think it's just one of those things we just need to be careful of. I'm with you. If I may add to that, you also, and this is going to sound controversial. You also sometimes don't have to care. Yeah. I mean, you literally can be like, I have no response to this. You can just flow, flow by it and not feel like the necessity to respond. That is, again, going back to what we talked about before, this weird like omniscient sense that like I have to respond to this thing. It's out in the world. It, if something's happening locally, especially like in your own church, that's where you ought to care. That's where you ought to stand up in the lives of those with whom you interact and you love and you have regular fellowship with. Sometimes, and maybe often, it's okay to be like, I have no feeling about this Yeah, and just move on and know that you don't need to get stirred up, fired up, or have to respond to something like that. I think there's a sense in which somebody said somewhere and it's something somewhere and it's theological in nature. So I have to be a good Christian and I have to jump into the mix on this. You just don't, there's no rules about that. And I would argue many times it's unhelpful, unproductive, unhealthy, and really what's required of you is to make sure, especially that you're taking all that energy and effort that you'd use in that pursuit and direct it towards your local congregation where you ought to be serving, loving, giving, and having a relationship with instead of saying, well, I'm a champion of theology on the internet with people whom I will never meet, who I do not know in controversies that are sometimes nuanced. It's not often necessary to engage. So you don't have to care. So for what it's worth, you can just blow by it. Yeah. Two, two thoughts and then we'll move on. Cause I know we're at like minute 31 of a 60 minute podcast and somebody is writing an Apple review right now about how terrible this is. This That's is a right. quote I ran into from Marcus Relius as I've been studying Stoic philosophy. And it was funny because actually it was, I didn't realize it when I responded to it. It was someone who's, who's a listener of the show as part of our telegram chat asked in the reform pub the other day, something like what, what would you get? What advice would you give to your younger self? And this is the advice that I gave my younger self. I really wish I had learned this when I was like 23, 24 years old. I think my life would have been a lot simpler. Marcus Aurelius in Meditations writes, you always own the option of having no opinion. There is right. never any need to get worked up or troubled or trouble your soul about things you can't control. These things are not asking to be judged by you. Leave them alone. And it's funny because right I was reading, um, I was reading in my, uh, I, I do the Daily Stoic Journal, which is a, a companion to the Daily Stoic uh, written by um, Ryan Holiday. And uh, the question for the day, this was for July 18th, was can I mind my own business and not be distracted by others? And my my reflection on this was I have only a minimal obligation to address theological error outside of the body in which God has placed me. Yes. So like right. there is an obligation, right? Yes. If you're If you're out in the wild somewhere 
and you you run into somebody who's espousing a theological error, I don't know that the Christian is necessarily always free to just pass that by. Like sure. if you're capable of correcting an error and it's appropriate and and fruitful and beneficial to do so, um, then you ought to do so. But t- Twitter, like I don't know that Twitter, you have an obligation to correct every errant theological exactly. view that comes across your feed on Twitter. Like you just don't. And for example, I might have a I have a, a almost infinitely higher obligation to correct theological error in um in the local church that I'm an elder in, right? I have a formal obligation. Uh we had a guest preacher um last week because I was coming back from vacation and I didn't have time to prepare the sermon. Our pastor is still on medical leave. If he was in the pulpit and was espousing formal heresy, as the as the an elder of the church and as the elder presiding over that service, I would have had an obligation to stand up to stop him from continuing and to correct that error in the moment that it happened. Right. I do not have that same obligation if I'm at an academic conference and someone is presenting a paper exactly. that I just don't. Or if I'm on Twitter, right? I don't have to respond to every TikTok or YouTube video. So I'm totally I'm totally on board with that concept. That like sometimes we just need to let things go. Sometimes you don't even have to care, right? Just because, right. Just because Owen Strahan and and I'm bringing this up because obviously this is something I've been passionate about. And I, I, I'm not saying that what I've done in the past, how I've been involved in the EFS controversy is wrong. When Owen Strahan says something that is off, off his rocker, right. Or when James White says something that is just theologically suspect, I don't have to do anything about that. I'm not obligated in any way to address that, um, except in this relatively small spheres of influence and authority that that God has given me, right? If someone posts a a problematic statement by James White and is endorsing it in the Telegram chat that we run, right? That bears our name in a sense. So I have an obligation in in that arena to address things that are said if they're not appropriate, in my family, in my local church, in, in the theological world that I operate in, in the local area that I have a different obligation there. So yeah, I'm, I'm totally on board with that idea. Yes. I think that's so important that I'm going to really cede my time on my denial. I'll come back to it next episode. I only want to add yes, yes, yes. Amen. And amen. This is the idea again, that we can suddenly be tricked into thinking that we have to do all the things, respond to all this stuff, or that we should even get fired up over all this stuff where God has given us influence. And to your point, let's say that we're talking about the Telegram channel. There is a place in which you have a voice. That voice is clarion and clear. Right. It's cogent. People respect it. There's relationship in its own way that's being formed and forged, and people will listen to your voice. Right. And so by virtue of that, there's a place we might argue where it is helpful for you to speak up or for me to speak up, for anybody to speak up who's in a part of that group. Right. But otherwise, when we start talking about the internet writ large, I really find that people often get fired up over things which they have no control and that I can't understand that God is calling them with some kind of explicit responsibility to participate in. And yet that, I think, as well, going back to Cal Newport, becomes such a large distraction as to really pull away from where they ought to be putting their time and efforts and talents. And that is in the congregations and the fellowships and the communities in which God has actually like literally explicitly given them priority hegemony and participation in. We just get confused because I can sit here and like scroll on my phone. I want to fire off everybody that's saying something that's different than me or that I disagree with. 
I just don't think there is any compulsion that should be there. And more than that, if we reduce it and pull it back ourselves, I think we'll find that we are more satisfied, less irritable, less frustrated. Because like the average, like Owen Strahan, for instance, real quick, good example. If I like tweet back at him, he just doesn't care. Right. Honestly, I mean, that's oh, yeah. the bottom line. Just he doesn't know me, just doesn't care. I, like whether I use my real name on my account or my handle is like, you know, at punching Owen Strahan in the face, doesn't matter. He doesn't care. Right. And so that's part of the point here is that God has given us a relationship and we ought to entrust that correction to those who are close to him in the same way that the cells closest to the wound do right. the healing. And so we really need to be about that as Christians and not get it all twisted up yeah. so that we are just all over the place and distracted. Yeah, you're 100% right. We should probably like talk about the fourth petition of the Lord's Prayer at some point. Yeah, let's let's get into I'm so glad you brought that up. I wasn't even <laughs> sure where we were going. You know, we've talked about, again, all these three petitions that are happening so far, and they're somewhat like godly focused. And I say that only generally. And then we get to this fourth one. But it's only having traversed through the other three. Right. And I just want to make an obvious statement, but I think this rubs people the wrong way. Here's the statement. In the Lord's Prayer, one of the first things that we find out is God is more important than we are. Yes. And it's an odd thing to say on one hand, but it seems so obvious. And yet it sounds very offensive. It cuts across the grain of our modern sentiments to think that God exists for his own happiness, not ours. And that we, in fact, are merely part of this universal design to bring pleasure to the Holy One of Israel. By putting God first in prayer, Jesus puts theology before needs, Yes, which is universally true before that which is practical for one's own like personal life. I do find, and we talk about this a lot, that there is this funny sense, and sometimes we say these words, even you and I have said it, but we don't mean exactly like this. We run to like immediately what's practical or like what's relevant in theology as if God were irrelevant. Yeah. Sometimes we make that like kind of inference yeah, that we have to somehow draw practicalness out of this when in fact everything that God gives us is sufficient for life and salvation and living that is abundant both temporarily and internally. And so now we come to consider like this practical study of God that is rooted in who he is by saying that we want to ask God for a daily bread. So even though we're pressed for time, there's no reason to exclude the scripture. So let me read again, Matthew 6, just a couple of verses, starting in verse 9. And for those that are particularly keen listeners, the keeners, if you will, out there, you'll have been noticing maybe all along that I've been reading from the NASB 95 when I read the Lord's Prayer. And that's purposeful because we get rather this like fine-tuned approach, this narrow definition of all the language. And that's by design, at least for me. So here's Matthew 6, beginning in verse 9. Pray then in this way. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. So we have these, what, six words, seven words, and let's talk about give us this day our daily bread. It struck me as I read that in preparation for a conversation that we could spend an hour on the inflection on each particular word, which shows again the genius of God and yeah. giving us a way to play. But I'm going to turn it over to you, dear brother. Where do you want to start? Which word? 
Well, I actually, I think the most important word in this, and this is probably not where I think most people go, but I think the most important word in this is daily, right? This is, in my mind, and let me let me say it this way. We've been talking about this two-minute challenge, and over the past couple of weeks when we've sort of checked in on it, I think both of us yeah. have said in one way or another, like, yeah, I kind of fell off of this a little bit. For so sure. this, this past week, I have been able to, by God's grace and by the empowering of the Holy Spirit and by just some practical steps, been able to get back onto that. And one of the things that I did, because we've talked about this before, we're like in the Christian life, there is often a hesitancy to go before the Lord in prayer because you're not sure what to say. Like you're not sure how to actually come before the Lord, what, what to bring him. And so one of the things that I did to sort of help get that rhythm back in is I started my two minute my two minute challenge prayer with the Lord's prayer, go figure. Right. And one of the things that I think this petition reminds us of is if we're petitioning God for our daily bread, we need to petition God daily for that daily bread. Right. right? So, so this, this petition in the Lord's prayer, in the model prayer, whatever we want to call it, this petition, not only is it a petition for God to meet our needs, which is fundamentally what it is, right. It's give us what we need for today. Um, but it, it's also a a petition like the other petitions, as we found, a petition that constrains us and shapes us theologically to, in this case, to focus on the present, right? We're focused on the fact that we need to trust God day by day, moment by moment to provide for us what we need. And one of the other things that I think is really important when we're talking about the Lord's Prayer is there is an internal logic to the Lord's prayer that drives you through kind of this sort of um, shaping process, right? The Lord's prayer starts off by orienting us to who God is in order to help us to understand why it is that this God we're praying to could even answer our prayers. But we just came out of this petition where we're asking God for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And now we're asking him to give us our daily bread. And this is where I think this prayer is sort of tricky for the Christian and and in some ways is difficult for us to think about. Sometimes the way that God gives us our daily bread is by allowing us to go hungry, right? And that, that may be in all sorts of different ways. This isn't just about food to eat, right? This is about providing for us what we need. I'm studying James because that's what I'm preaching in right now as I cover um, cover the pulpit for our pastor. And one of the things, this repeated refrain in James is that the saints are going to suffer, right? The saints will suffer. Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Right. That's what we're praying for here is give us what we need, not just to sustain our lives. Right? I mean, that's part of this, right? Give us the bread that we need so that we don't starve to death. That's part of what we're asking for. But more than that, because we're praying for God's will to be done and the daily bread that we're asking for falls under the sovereignty of God and within God's God's um, revealed and his decreed will, we're also in some ways asking for God to sustain us through the trials that he's going to bring to us. So right. this this isn't just, um, I've heard some treatments of this, and if we're not careful, I think we have a tendency to fall into this. This isn't just about asking God to provide for our material needs. It is right. that. It, it's, it's minimally that. 
it is this request that God would provide food and sustenance and shelter and the things that we need for our daily life. But it is so much more than that. And that we, this is the petition where we ask God to meet our needs, whatever those needs may be in his sovereign will, within his wisdom, meet our needs day to day, moment by moment. Wow. Well, that basically covered all of the episode in a single breath. So <laughs> brothers and sisters, get ready because we're going to go over. You're already at the uh, 43 minute mark. I'm just giving you fair warning. So if you want to speed up or move beyond, yes. you can do that, but it's just going to happen. And you already know this better than I do because you can see the final time, which I cannot see yet because I'm <laughs> omniscient. I agree with you. And to go back to give, could you unpack give and then associate that with all these other things that are inherent in that word? I am in agreement, of course. What strikes me about this is that sometimes I think starting that phrase with give might sound too aggressive. It's not gimme. We're not bossing God around right? because we've come through the other traditions first. And even imperfect fathers understand that they want to give to their children the very needs which they are requesting, the legitimate needs, the things that are essential to their well-being. And so here we have, again, this amazing kindness of God, which is really gospel language that he would give. It's John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. True love always leads to giving. Love, apart from a willingness to be inconvenienced, is not genuine. And God demonstrates this to us by embedding it in the prayer as this fourth petition. So coming from a humble heart, the word give is not just acceptable to God. This is the wild thing. It's pleasing to him. Yeah. And when we pray, it's not that I would say like God is glad for demands, but he is glorified in our dependence. Yes. And so this recognizes that we are dependent of God. And it, it additionally, it kind of comes, and I'm going to use as many like food puns as I possibly can. It carries with it, of course, all of the flavor of the Old Testament. You know, this, of course, was bread being a staple of diet of the Jews, had been for many years. It's a powerful symbol of God's provision for his people in the Old Testament. And we, of course, remember, we have to say we're contractually obligated to mention, of course, that God cared for the Israelites when they're in their wilderness after their exodus from Egypt by giving them this bread that rained from heaven. That's Exodus 16. And we see that like after God says, I will promise to provide for you, for the people that he has redeemed and brought out, like the defining characteristic of the Israelites was them passing through the Red Sea by way of miraculous deliverance. Then we find something that's like normative and almost becoming mundane. And that is on the ground, there will be a small round substance as fine as frost. It was white like coriander seed coriander. We just talked about this. And the taste of it was like wafers. That's an inside joke. Wafers made with honey. When God like miraculously fed his people from heaven, he did so by giving them bread. And of course, like in most Western societies, especially like in the Northern hemisphere, we've long and culturally talked about like bread winners. Like even Billy yeah. Joel in his song, Cameraman talks about people stuffing bread in his jar. Like bread has been in some ways analogous to like resourcefulness, resources, wealth, and basically this prayer is saying, Jesus is the breadwinner. Right. He comes in everything that you have, every ability which allows you to acquire the things that you need. And like you said, bread here is multidimensional. It's speaking about spiritual need, physical need. And it's saying God is the breadwinner. He comes and he gives it to you. And so everything that you might think is somehow the result of your own hand, own power, own resources is actually God manifest in the normative sense of bringing normal things to bear in such a way that he provides for you. 
And God says, ask for that thing, which is wild, right? Because like most of the time we have ex post prayers that are ex ante prayers. When it comes to even things like food, we sit down and we quote unquote, say grace, thanking God for the food he's provided. How many of us pray for the food for tomorrow? We just take it for granted. And Jesus is saying here, do not take anything for granted. Ask God to give you all of these things so that you might have the very things that you need to survive. Yeah. And I find that amazing, right? Like, cause God wouldn't need to embed that or make this presentation in the prayer that he gives us to pray. And yet he's acknowledging after we go through all of what is essential to glorifying God, upholding his name, making it hallowed or holy. He then turns to say, I love you. Yeah. I have not forgotten about you in my extreme. And that's really what it is extreme holiness that if we understand it properly, not to quote R.C. Sproul, but in the final analysis, if we understand holiness properly, God is a threat to who we are. Yeah. Not only because we want to be all alone, we want to have our own authority, we want to be sovereign in our own right, but because his holiness is at such extreme degree, it's otherworldly, it's unchartered, we'll never find the margins of him in that holiness, that it should threaten our very well-being and our very molecules itself. Like, of course, coming into the holiness of God outside of the gracious intermediate grace of Christ, the righteousness, active obedience, both passive and active obedience of Christ, we would just be literally in our physical being torn asunder because our molecules could not stand underneath or in the presence of that kind of holiness. That even with that transcendent nature of God, he still comes and says to us, I love you. I want to hear from you. You are contingent and I want to provide for you. Yeah. And here we find it as a petition in the prayer. It, it's mind boggling. Yeah. The other thing I think, um, that is really encouraging to me about what Jesus is doing in providing us this prayer is I think that there is sometimes a perspective within evangelical, and I think maybe even especially within certain kinds of reformed theological perspectives that asking God to meet our needs. And, and so like, here's the joke is, Everybody can kind of think of that prayer meeting where somebody comes forward. I remember I used to work with youth groups when I was at, in college um, or, you know, when, when I was living in Connecticut and your wife was my sister, not your wife, my wife, your sister, that was weird, um, was working as a, like a youth director at a, a local church. And, and I can remember hearing stories or I remember times where people would come forward and, and be like, man, my dog, it just, he threw up last night and I can just tell my dog is really sick and just doesn't feel, well, can you pray for my dog? I feel like there are times where we hear those kinds of prayer requests and we kind of scoff at them. Like, man, like you really think the God of the universe cares uh, that your dog is sick and then you don't want your dog to be suffering? The answer is emphatically yes. The, the, the Lord of the universe cares about the, the tiny things that we want and need. And for me, this prayer is one of those things where um, Christ is asking, is, is teaching us through the scriptures and, and through his words to his disciples that God not only cares about the big picture things, right? Th this actually gets to our view of sovereignty, Right. I remember sometimes people will ask, like, would you really think God cares whether you have Cheerios or Wheaties in the morning? Yeah. Yeah, he does. Yes. Not only does he care, but he's yeah. decreed it from all, all eternity past. That right same principle applies here, 
when I wake up in the morning, and this hap- this has been happening frequently because Augie is teething, I wake up in the morning, I get up at about 4.30 in the morning. And I do that because I want to have some time of quiet before I, I go into the day. I need to do my, my Bible reading. I do my journaling. I do all these things in the morning. So I wake up at about 4.30 in the morning. Recently, for some reason, Augie's been getting up at 5 in the morning. I think it's because he's teething, right? When I pray that God will just grant me like another 15 minutes of quiet before Augie gets up. Not because I don't want to spend time with my baby, not because of any of that stuff. But when I just, I, I sometimes feel like I'm just pleading with God that he will like keep my son asleep for like another 10 minutes so I can just finish this chapter or so I can finish this thing I'm writing, whatever it is. That feels like, and I think sometimes we scoff at those kinds of prayers. We feel selfish for asking for those things. We're not. I mean, we're asking our father in heaven to provide us not just for what we need. We should be asking God to provide what we need. It's also okay to ask God for what you want and for him to provide for you. You know, that's why Jesus says like, what father, what good father when his, his child asks for a fish provides him with a, a serpent. I mean, I'm probably mixing up what, what the, the verses, but like what, what father, when his son says, can you give me an egg, gives him a scorpion, right? He's talking about our heavenly father in that passage. And this part of this petition in the Lord's prayer, part of what it teaches us, part of what we're asking for is that God would meet our physical needs. He would meet our emotional needs. And the fact that Christ tells us to pray for these things means that not only is it okay, it's okay to ask for these things, it's okay to come to the Lord and ask him for the things that you need and the things that you want. Not only is that okay, in some way that we will never fully understand, the God of the universe who created and decreed all things, anthropomorphically speaking, of course, it brings a smile to his face when his children come to him. And, and I'm going to use this word, although I'm sure somebody is going to unsubscribe to the podcast because I do. Uh, maybe I'm just because I have a, a young son right now. This word is in my mind. When we come to him and say, Daddy, I want an egg. I would like an egg, please. Or I would like a fish. He, he smiles. He says, of course, my child. Of course, I'm going to give you the egg you're asking for. I'm not going to give you a scorpion. I'm not going to give you a serpent. I'm not going to give you stone when you ask for bread. Of course, I'm going to give you the egg that you're asking for. And not only am I going to give it to you, I really hope you enjoy it. Like that is what part of what this prayer is teaching us. God is delighted when we ask him for our needs and wants. And not only is he delighted when we ask him, he is delighted to provide those things to us in accordance with his will, in accordance with his degree. Of course, all of those things are true. But for me, that is the radical part of this petition in the, the Lord's Prayer, is that although all of worship is about God, although God's happiness, God's blessedness, God's glory and honor is first in the Lord's prayer. What I find just amazingly remarkable is that the very first thing, once once we move through the Lord's prayer and we've moved past, maybe not past, but once we move through the Lord's prayer and we've gotten to the point where we're no longer praying about God's glory the very first thing that he tells us to pray for before we even pray for the forgiveness of sins, which we're going to get to in the future before we even get to that. He's telling us to come to him and ask him for the things that we want and need. To me, that's just mind blowing that God's priority when we pray for ourselves in certain, in a certain sense is the things that we want and need to me. That's just, it's just a beautiful thing that we learn from this. 
I mean, I think that's like the beauty and the differentiation of our God as opposed to other religious worldviews or systems that are asking and sometimes performing in prayer so as to earn something from God. And he just says that you ought to ask. And again, ask with strong language, language that sometimes almost seems aggressive. Yeah. We say give, give us this day. Yes, right. Give us this day our daily bread. It's it's an imperative. It's indicative. It's all all wrapped up into one. And I want to bookend that by saying that I think what's really interesting about this is the modification of that by this idea of our today, our daily bread. You know, we would like to ask God to give us everything we need right now so that we can see like the supply of everything we need for a lifetime. Yeah. But Jesus wants us to pray for what we need today. And he wants us to ask not for a lifetime supply of bread for, for this idea of this daily bread. I mean, there is like a legitimate modifier. And I think we're, we've always been kind of anchoring to this concept that all of this prayer is for everyone. It's for the people of God. We're doing this together. So yeah. in other words, like, even if your refrigerator is full of food and your retirement account looks really good to go, you still must come to God each new day asking for bread. And it's not a mindless ritual. It's a confession that quote unquote yeah. normal life can blow up anytime that jobs and health and relationships and financial assets and national stability and global peace can be upended very quickly. And apart from God, his sovereign grace over all of us, the common grace and the particular grace that he exhibits and lavishes on his people, all of this can go away. And so we say, we recognize that we are really, really contingent on everything that God does for us. And that contingency is is confined to a particular horizon. That is like, so like the Puritans, like many things did this best. They spoke at length about this idea. And I'm just going to like try to translate this. And what I would say is to like more kind of modern colloquial language. I would relate this to, and again, my professional experience is finance, like a checking account or transaction account. Yeah. In that every day, it's as if God makes a deposit for that day. Right. And it's sufficient unto itself to handle all of the quote unquote expenses in my metaphor for everything that life requires you on that day, on that Tuesday or Friday or Sunday. And because of that, it means there is ample resource and wealth for you to draw upon that account, but only enough for today. And he will never give more than is necessary for today so that you come back in humble dependence and in loving care for him. Tomorrow, God will give us the grace we need for tomorrow. And when we try to think about tomorrow, without having yet received the power for tomorrow, we're just going to be anxious, which yeah. is addressed later on. And of course, Jesus' sermon. So we need to respect and understand the fact that this is God's loving kindness to us. He's tethering himself. He's tightly coupling both our joy and our practice in living to this request for only daily bread, because that's exactly what he wants. You know, our worries are taking us away from the present where God is at work. And we might think that God will not be with us tomorrow. Maybe we think that after rescuing us today and bringing our family into this place of safety, that God will somehow abandon us in due time. But that is exactly where he wishes to solidify, strengthen, and vet, as it were, our faith by saying, I am telling you that I will be there. And the way that you know is I'm telling you when you pray, do it this way. Ask for just the bread for today, because I will provide that in every possible way, in every moment as it arises. And that's not like physical, it's spiritual, it's emotional. And I can testify that in my own life, 
especially in some rather strange physical places, that God has provided exactly what is necessary, but oftentimes, and perhaps all the time or normatively, he doesn't do that until the exact moment that you need it. It is an exercise of faith, but he has never, ever let me down. He has never disappointed me in that prayer. And yet it takes a certain amount of wherewithal and trust to say, God, for instance, I do not feel well right now. I yeah. don't know that I can do the thing that you called me to do in five minutes. I don't know I can get up from my chair and do this effectively, but I'm trusting in your promises that you will give the daily bread in exactly the fullness and satisfaction that is required when the moment arises. And I submit to everyone that's listening that he has, in fact, always done that for me, that he's faithful yeah. to this promise. So it is, like you said, a command, but the command is born out of a promise that God is saying, my character is such that as a good father, when you ask in this way, of which I'm telling you, you ought, that I will always perform exactly in the way that I promised to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Jesse, I don't, I don't know that there's any good way to end this conversation because this is, this is the Christian life. Like this is the ongoing conversation that all of us need to be having all the time about what God is teaching us and how he's bringing us along and providing for us. But nevertheless, our conversation does need to end at some point. So I just want to remind people, you know, we have this Telegram chat and and we, if you enjoy the kinds of conversations that you're, you're sort of sitting in on, G, on me and Jesse having, um, these kinds of conversations are happening in our Reformed Brotherhood Telegram chat on an ongoing basis. Like people are talking about these things. People are thinking about these things. People are reflecting on the the word and they're trying to understand what it is that God is teaching us in a day in day out basis. You can join that tele telegram chat at t.me slash reform brotherhood. Um, if you point your browser at that, either on your phone or a computer, if you don't have telegram or you're not subscribed to it, it'll bring you to instructions for how to get set up with that. If you do have telegram, It'll bring you to the channel. You can take a look around before you decide whether you want to join or not. But there's a good group of men and women in there that are just trying to get at the Christian life together, right? This is not a replacement for the, the church. This is not a replacement for in-person interactions, taking into account all the things we talked about earlier. But it is a good place to just reflect on this stuff together, right? It's not the same as sitting down for a coffee or a beer with a Christian brother or sister to, to talk about these things, but it is something. And, it, and it's a, I think it's a pretty special thing online. So check that out. You can also, if you uh, have fulfilled your obligations to your local church and your other local financial obligations, if there's a little bit left over and you would like to help us continue to make this content and continue to um, provide this, um, I don't want to call it teaching. Teaching sounds so like formal to continue to provide whatever it is, this thing that we're providing is. If you think it's beneficial and you want to help us continue to do that, you can go to patreon.com slash reform brotherhood. You can give a little, you can give a lot. Uh, there's no tears. There's no perks other than knowing that you're helping us to continue to bring this forward. Our mics uh, will continue to work. And if they don't, we'll be able to buy new ones. Um, we would love for you to partner with us to do that. We have a number of people who make this show possible through partnering with us financially. Um, and we're so thankful for that. So if you want to join that uh, smaller group of people and help us make sure that we can keep doing this free of charge and don't have to tell you all about our purple mattresses, which I have a purple mattress and I love. I don't get any money for saying that. But if you want to continue to make sure we don't have to sell you razor blades and diet supplements and cell phone service or whatever it might be this month, um, you can help us by just joining in as a Patreon member. So Jesse, do you have anything else to add or any final thoughts? I mean, there's probably plenty of people that listen to us and they hit that forward button that like shoots the podcast ahead 30, 10 seconds, whatever. Yeah. 
but you're likely not doing that because you hear an ad and that's by design. So we're so thankful for everybody that's a part of this. And, you know, again, especially what I'm calling the Jericho model, which is those who come alongside with some resources to help tear down the paywall. You never find a login with us. <laughs> You're never going to find some kind of weird ad in the middle. You're never going to find us saying things like, let's take a break to hear from our sponsors after we've just been, you know, in the throes of talking about this glorious theology of the gospel in yeah. the Lord's Prayer. You're never going to find that disruption here. That's why commitment and not just our commitment, but so many other brothers and sisters who have come alongside and said, you know what? I would love to just throw a dollar into the pot, as it were, to help cover the costs. Yeah. So that sounds good. You don't have to do that kind of thing in the modern era to cover all your costs. I just so appreciate that and hope that many will join in. The last thing I'll say is I'm going to try to insert a little bit of what you've just talked about into the passage we've just also spoken of. And that is this idea of our, it's all of us together. Yes. So this idea of like the Telegram chat is our conversation together about theology, about right living and right thinking. And I think this is an underemphasized place of the Christian life, which is let's be about talking about the things of God, whether we are walking, whether we're sitting down, whether we're going to bed, that there is just such a lovely benefit that God has given us when we gather together to talk using all mediums, of course, explicitly in first that community in which you actually find yourself living and breathing and moving. And secondarily, and the benefit to be able to connect with people all over the world who are doing the same thing. So as we've just spoken about, there's something possessive in this phrase, this give us our daily bread. We're not just asking God to give us any old bread, but that God would give us the bread that belongs to us that he's promised. And part of that bread is this spiritual conversation that we get to have together. So I implore people, if they've ever thought about just like maybe creeping in on the Telegram, and by the way, you can go to that website that Tony just talked about. You don't have to join. You can just kind of see. You can just like sneak in. You can drive by with your headlights off, as it were, go through the trash and see what we're talking about. That's totally cool. You don't have to just jump in. But come along and let's hang out together as God allows us to in like that online space so that we can have more conversations that glorify God and that move us in a direction where we're serving him effectively and all of the walks of life, which he's given unto us to enjoy. Yeah. Well, Jesse, I think that just about does it. So until next time, honor everyone. Love that brother. This world I